welcome back to the Evolution Podcast, episode 105 with the one and only Rick Alexander, author of Burn Your Couch, author of Ambitious Heroes of Heartache. You can find him on Instagram at rickalexander underscore. I believe his website is rickalexander.com. My name is Jeff Bayless. You can find me on Instagram, Jeff Bayless underscore. You know know where to find me now. Let's talk about Rick and why I had him on. So I read his first book, Burn Your Couch, and then got into his podcast, The Morning Coffee Podcast, which is really good. Uh, And then also read uh, Ambitious Heroes and Heartache, and then listened to the audio version, which I strongly recommend both. Uh, The audio version, a few things may jump out at you uh, that didn't in the text. So what I know about Rick is uh, he's a very deep thinker, man, Uh, and he does his homework, you know, and he he reads a lot he thinks a lot yeah he's in school right now i think he's in seminary uh you know just really does a great job of articulating and and dissecting and unpacking the why behind everything we do in this human experience Uh, no topic is off limits with this guy uh there's no uh, you know he's, he's pretty bold there's nothing that he won't there's no challenging topic that he won't tackle uh, so that's why I love his work. I love the man. I, I love what he's doing. And uh, I'm just super proud to have the platform to bring some of his thoughts uh, to your earbuds. So enjoy. All right, man, we're in it now. So uh, probably don't need to do a huge intro for you. Uh, you've been on the show before. Uh, Rick Alexander, uh, host of the Morning Coffee podcast, Ambitious Heroes and Heartache. And burn your couch, uh, author, podcaster, speaker, great thinker, uh, a guy that's personally helped me out uh, with growing this project and just, you know, bouncing some ideas off you, man. Uh, appreciate you taking the time and working with my schedule and stuff like that and coming on, man. How's life? Good, man. I'm happy to be on every time we talk. It seems to go somewhere cool. So I'm excited for this. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, you know, should I have an idea planned out? Nope. Don't need one with Rick. <laughs> people, that makes people nervous. You know, like I notice on my own show, guests are like, Hey, but so what are the questions? I'm like, well, it depends where it goes. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> totally, man. hundred percent. It's like, why, why even I could do a list of questions and then we won't stick to that. It'll go somewhere right. else. So, right. uh, well, so as a jumping off point, uh, I do want to ask you, and I'm sure we'll get back into your background and stuff like that, or they could check out your work to see more about your background. I, I like to live in the now a little bit, or at least that's my intention. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what are you doing now? Uh, what, what's exciting for you now? What, what's firing you up? What, what are you working on right now? Um, right now, personally, I'm studying a lot of rites of passage work for men. Uh, I had a couple experiences in the last year where, quite honestly, I looked around the world and I, I was just like, there are no men here. Like, I mean, good, healthy, embodied, masculine men. And uh, that I, I started asking myself why and I started asking myself, well, what would it mean for me to show up as that? And so I started looking around at my own role models and realizing how little I could find of that too. And so it's really just sent me on this really cool journey of like, just trying to figure out what does it mean to embody a healthy masculine? How would I, how would I contribute to culture in a way that would be positive in, in a way that would you know, honor my, who I am as a person. And anyway, so yeah, I, I'm right now, a lot of what's exciting me is studying um, force transformation. Yeah. So what is, what is force transformation? What is Well, that? that's kind of what I've been thinking of as a rites of passage really is. So, well, I mean, of course, there are rites of passages for both men or women. I'm, I'm just studying women, right? I mean, I'm just studying men right now. Um, but you can imagine, you know, you're as a boy, you grow into being a man there are parts of being a boy that you absolutely cannot take with you into be into manhood. And if you do, everybody suffers. There's a really good, uh, there's a really good quote around initiation. And I think it's Celtic. I can't remember, but it's essentially like, you know, the man that doesn't go through initiation hangs a sword over everybody's neck. Mm. And that's what we're seeing in culture right now, right? Lots of men, that never put down their boyish tendencies and they're serving greed and they're serving power and they're serving all of these things that you would want when you, before you've developed yourself and you actually know what it means to be a man and to love yourself and to love the world. And so they're, they're taking all these boyish tendencies, but now they're full grown men and that, and, and so we're suffering because of that in a really, really dramatic way, I think. And so, 
um, what initiation has done historically in the past is, I mean, it's been it done a lot of things, but one of the things it does is it forces transformation because culture and the individual have a real reciprocal relationship to each other. You know, that the individual evolves himself and then has that gift for the culture, you know, and is what drives culture because we always think like, we want to make all these changes around culture. It's like, well, if it doesn't happen at your level, it's not going to happen at all. Culture is only a group of individuals. And so having these forced transformational processes, one of the things they do is as you are going through them, you actually have to sacrifice the parts of you that aren't going to serve you in the world going forward. And so I've started to think of them as forced transformation. Nice. All right. So we'll get, we'll get back to the work, uh, but you touched on masculinity as a, as a thing, right? So we, we often, I know in my own personal life and, and you being in, you know, military as well, you know, we kind of wear this like stoic guard, this mask of masculinity, this, you know, come one of the, uh, come back on your shield or with it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so where was the transformation for you or what are your thoughts on, you know, this, hang up with this word masculinity like what is what is real masculinity look like like for guys that can even say hey i love you bro like thanks for doing that that was great give me a hug like we we get this we're, we're, our thought process in childhood and especially in the military or if you, even if you're in just like a type a alpha male environment right it's like you got to bro hard you know you got to you got to wear this tough exterior mm. uh, and so I'd like to get your thoughts on it. I mean, I have my own opinion uh, specifically around the world with the word masculinity because uh, it, it gets a bad rap, man. It's like masculinity is not, it's not getting in fights and uh, you know, it's, it's not all these things that we're, we, we kind of have this uh, connotation in our mind of what masculinity is supposed to be. So what is masculinity? What is it supposed to be? All right. So, so let's rewind it. Let's not talk male and female for now, because that is a place that people are getting real hung up right now. And that's not what I'm talking about. As a man, I'm choosing to embody a healthy masculine, but let's talk first about what masculine and feminine are, right? So these are energies, right? These are energy forces that, these are the animating energy forces in our world, right? And so when you think about chaos, that's inherently feminine. And when you think about order, that's inherently masculine, right? And so Chaos is the thing that gives birth to everything that is. You might think about the Big Bang or whatever your cosmology is. It all comes from primordial chaos every single time. Mm. Right? Even in the Bible, that's that's what's described as chaos. And so order, the masculine, is the thing that takes the chaos and creates something out of it. See, because what would happen is if it was all chaos, it's all potential, but it's nothing at all. So the two are in this relationship where they actually need each other as energy forms. And so if things become too chaotic, right, that you might think about as it's like all potentials are possible and yet nothing is actually happening. That's all feminine. Then when you think about masculine, if things to become too orderly, well, that's Nazi Germany, right? That's all tired. That's all tyranny. And I think what's happened is because we've had a patriarchal culture part of the way that I think part of what's made people really resentful of the masculine in the first place is that that order wasn't wielded responsibly or correctly in a way that gives birth to new things, right? Because that's what happens when tyranny takes over and there's too much order, there's no newness possible, no new life, no evolution becomes possible. And so what you want to find is actually the healthy embodiment of both. And so as a male, you actually have a a feminine side to you right now you don't have to well you don't have to acknowledge it and we can get into what happens when you don't but you have a you have a you have a feminine soul that's how it works if you ever look at like the work of Carl Jung he talks about the anima and then as women you have the animus now those are latin for male and female soul essentially Mm -hmm. and so the idea here is because you mentioned this idea of like dudes that are like not really wanting to even say I love you bro or something right right as if love is a feminine thing it's like no, exactly the thing that makes this place worth being in and each person has a role to play in it as culture we've really dropped the ball on that and like tried to make it this interesting feminine thing but it's like no no love is the marriage of the two and it's the thing that makes being here actually worth being here by the way right because when it's all chaos it's hell and when it's all tyranny it's hell it's like no Love, that's the Tao. That's the place right in the middle of both chaos and order. And so um, what happens is, for example, your relationship to your 
mom or your original kind of primary caregiver as a female, that becomes your relationship to the feminine. What happens is you see this all the time in men. For example, we just did a, a workshop on helping men kind of control their own darkness. Well, what happens is that female is the one that nurtures you, right? As you're, as you're growing up, the feminine is the nurturing. And mm -hmm. so if you don't have the ability to nurture yourself, what you're going to do is you're going to project that need onto other people. So part of becoming a man is actually learning to nurture yourself. And if you don't have that ability, you're going to expect your lover to do it. She's going to grow resentful of you, I promise. You're going to expect porn to do it. Well, that that's an addiction and you'll end up on page 175 of Pornhub and it'll just get worse from there. Um, you're going to expect alcohol or weed to do it. What's happening is you're retreating into perpetual fantasy because you have a broken relationship with your own internal feminine. And I say you, but please know this is something I've lived out in my life and am learning through experience in a really tough way. Um, and so I guess to answer your question in the most long-winded way possible is that uh, these masculine and feminine dynamics, they run right through the center of our entire lives. And our ability is to learn how to embody one and dance with the other. Oh yeah. I like that. Yeah. Dance with the other. Yeah. You know, I heard you saying you said it twice in two different ways about loving yourself, right? Uh, this is one of the hardest lessons for me. Uh, I know a lot of people battle that uh, for whatever reason, whether we're just really hard on ourselves or maybe our parents were hard on us, or maybe we've had abusive relationships that led to us, you know, facilitating this further in life where we just, we keep reliving the, uh, the patterns, the grooves, we get stuck in the groove of like, not, not thinking we're worthy, accepting, uh, you know, for me, I just didn't love myself until someone unconditionally loved me, even though I was going through the worst shit possible, right? They loved me for who I was, not what I was going through at the time, right? Because when you see someone, you think like, oh, well, that person does X, Y, or Z, like they're, this is their occupation, this is their uh, criminal record, this is their whatever, that's who they are. Well, no, that, that's what they're doing, that's not who they are, right? Mm. And so how do you help someone find a way to love themselves? Like, what is that magic, you know, red or blue pill that, you know, Neo's gonna wake up and just all of a sudden, boom, I love myself. How, how do we get there? I don't think that happens. Absolutely um, I not. don't think you wake up and you're like, boom, I love myself. Um, you know, I think one thing that can happen is, well, all right, so imagine, hopefully I can explain this. Imagine that you have a couple, you get married, you fall in love, like that it's, happens to you, right? You, you get engulfed in this love, especially at first, romantic love, eros. And so all these other kinds of loves, like romantic eros love, for example, can be the path you walk to the, to the real thing, to the agape love, right? The agape, problem is stopping yeah. and thinking that the first kind of love you experience is the real one. Love is on a never-ending quest to evolve itself. And so the deeper you want to go with that, the deeper it will get. And so anyway, so you imagine you have this couple and they, they're in love and then they both start working and life kind of takes over and they're both kind of like really focusing on how to like make more money and contribute and be good for the other person. But yet in doing that, they start to grow apart a little bit. And then one day the guy comes and he's like, man, he's probably isn't gonna call her man, but he's like, look, I've, I've noticed we've been growing apart. And I was thinking one thing we should do maybe is we should go on a date night and we should, we should start to get together. And she's like, oh, that's amazing. We should do Wednesday nights. And so they both clear Wednesday off their schedule and they get to the next Tuesday night and he, they go to bed and he's laying in bed and he's like, man, I don't even, I don't remember what it's like to even be there for this person. Like I starts getting all nervous because they haven't had a date night and now maybe let's call it a year. And so they've been working on themselves. They're so far apart. He's like, I don't know what to do. So he gets up in the middle of the night and he starts creating an agenda. And he's like, okay, I think if we first do this and then we go out to here for dinner and then we go out here. And so he's, he's overly tyrannical, right? He's overly trying to control as if situation. he can fix it. Right. Yeah. Cause he doesn't know what to do. Now he comes back to his lover and he's like, listen, I don't know what to do. I'm super nervous. I don't know how to get back to you. I don't know how to love you, but I've made this list. And I think if we do this list, we'll be okay. Now, what's interesting to know here, the thing that's going to make love possible is not the list. It was his vulnerability and coming to the relationship and coming up short. That's what grace is, right? And that's why love is so healing because love reaches across the aisle. It says, I know you're not enough. I know I'm not enough. You're in the arena. Yeah. Right. And in that vulnerability 
is where actual intimacy and actual connection are going to happen. It's not going to happen when you're following the list, right? It's in the coming to you with my hands in my head, like, I love you. And I, I don't know how to get back to you in that, in that genuine openness of connection. That's what love is. That's how, that's the seed that this whole thing is going to grow out of. And so if we thought about that with ourselves, there are so many parts of ourselves that we've realize are not okay and so we don't we're closed off to those sides of ourselves you're going through the world as a kid you get a picture of what it means to be here what you have to do for love and belonging and validation and all of these things and then you learn to wear a mask and you learn to do that thing well all the parts of you that don't fit in that mask you inherently disavow you inherently say man that's not going to be part of my life i'm not that i'm like this remember this is me this is my identity this is my picture and so you could imagine if you're trying to create this self-love, for example, which I would say you'd probably want to do because your relationship to yourself is going to end up manifesting in your relationship to every single other thing in the Absolutely. world. Absolutely. I was just going to say <laughs> There's that. no getting yeah. around it. Yeah. yeah. And so again, to make a really long explanation <laughs> too long, I would say that, it, you know, it is in putting the wall down. It's not in who you've convinced yourself you are that you're not going to be able to love that person because you don't, because it's not all of you. You'll love some of them, which is exactly how you feel now about yourself. It's actually the vulnerability of coming to yourself and realizing like, I'm broken. I don't know what to do here. I'm lost. I'm in pain. I'm whatever you actually are, be that thing and sit with that thing. This is really hard for me. So I don't want to come off as I'm talking from a pedestal. Well, we but all, I am saying we all, uh, we all share what we need to hear as well. Right. So, I mean, I don't think anybody, totally. yeah, I don't think anybody's going to listen to this and say like, Oh man, Rick is just preaching to me. No, they're going to say this guy is doing, you know, we all say what we need to hear. We write what we need to read, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And so to answer your question, it's in that vulnerability. It, that's where love can happen. That's where connection can happen. Just like when you, when you're wearing the mask and she's wearing the mask, you, you can't connect in that place. The connection, I mean, you can, but it's not real. It's mask to mask, right? It's not heart to heart. And so the walls have to come down and in order for the walls to come down. Unfortunately, you might have to face some parts of yourself that you've learned to push pretty far down, you know, you yeah. learn to repress pretty far. Compartmentalize. Yeah. Com right. Right. To be successful in the world. Yeah. And you know, that'll work until it doesn't, you know, mm -hmm. that, that'll work for quite a while. I mean, it worked Long for, time. for about 35 years or so, you know, and then, you know, it didn't. And then I was like seriously contemplating suicide every day. And like, you know, it just, it, it, your, your cup filleth over at a certain point, right. When you just don't love yourself and you're just compartmentalizing everything and you're putting everything into this box and not dealing with the reality, eventually you're going to process it. It's just how hard does it have to be, you know, Totally. Those parts of yourself in my new book, I talk about it. Like that's a seed. You shove that seed down and it will resurface surface as a great Oak tree. Oh yeah. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to you know, grow. And you're not going to be in control of it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, first of all, I want, I want to jump to your book, but I want to talk about vulnerability or at least highlight, shine a light on what you just said. Um, vulnerability is huge. Probably the most counterintuitive uh, thing, especially for men to grasp, you know, and you mentioned agape, right? This unconditional love, the love that, uh, let's say spirit, God, universe, you know, it's this, this love that comes in that man and woman, uh, can't even, it's hard to even contemplate what that, what that actually means. Like it's, it's just this overabundance of love. Right. So where do we get that from vulnerability? Huge. Like I just, uh, I'm, I'm repeating what you said, but it's, it's huge in my life. Like it's counterintuitive because you don't think it's going to work. And then what happens is when you let your guard down and you put the, the shield down, you take the mask off. The next thing you know, people are just pouring love on you and support and you're finding solutions and you're finding uh, ways that you can help others. Right. Uh, and it's just this, uh, it, it just recycles itself. It's, it's reciprocal in nature as well. Like it just goes back and forth. The energy is interchangeable. Right. Um, so let's, let's talk about your, your, it, I, we talked off show and I, I, I've been dying to ask you this question myself personally, and I don't mean it to be like a shot across the bow or anything like that. Um, but so I've, I've read both your books and um, I listened to the audio, which I would strongly recommend doing both uh, because the audio jumped out. A few things jumped out at me that didn't in the written wor uh, word. So uh, to the listener here, I'll, I'll put links in the show notes and stuff like that. But uh, 
I would definitely recommend doing both. But the question is, why redo? So you're rewriting Burn Your Couch as well, right? Mm-hmm. And you redid. Uh, so disclaimer: I, ha- I haven't reread uh, Ambitious Heroes and Heartache yet. I- I'm sure I will. Uh, but so, so why do it again? Like, why? I heard you mention it in one of your episodes, but uh, I don't mean this as a leading question. But what, what's what's the mindset? What's the thought process as, as far as like redoing something you've already did that you put out? That was a flash in time, right? It was a snapshot in time. Yep. Yep. Um, a couple of things. So first I would just ask you this, like, have you ever tried to go forward without healing your past? Yeah, it doesn't work. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And fail miserably. It, yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause some part of you still there. Yeah. That's, and that's what it comes down to, right? You go through something inherently traumatic. What happens is you think you can push that down and go around it and just march on into the future, but actually you're in wrong relationship with your past and some part of you is stuck there. And so what healing work is, is actually a reclamation of those parts of yourself, right? Mm. And so in, as I was, as I've been learning how to write, I've also been writing my way through pain. Like I've been right, trying to write my way through transformation. I've had this deep thirst for truth that I felt like the world just could not satisfy. And it sent me into all these crazy places, into really crazy highs, into long ultra marathons, in this like deep, like really just longing for truth. And so as I've done that, and there's inherently part of me that's like also scarred up from that, right? Like there's part mm-hmm. of me that was really angry. And so I would read Burn Your Couch and you got to imagine people are going to find me now and they'll go read Burn Your Couch. In their mind, they're not going to be like, oh, okay, so this is him. This is what he was going through. So now where is he? They're just going to read it and like it or not like it. And so as I would go read it, I kept having the thought of like, who hurt you? (laughs) What are you so mad about? Well, a lot of healing work is figuring out who hurt you, right? So anyway, all that to say is I wanted to be in right relationship with my past so I could feel good about going forward. And so what the reason I did that, and they're not complete rewrites, um, what they're, what burn your couches, for example, is I tried to go back and say, what's the essence here? Like, what's the really good stuff that I was imparting that is like, I really learned. And then what is hurt me trying to lash out at somebody. And I tried to rescue the essence and make the book that. So you find me, you know, it's not that I necessarily even still not that I believe every single idea, like I evolve as a human, just like everybody else. But at the same time, I think the essence is delivered in a way that's more authentic. And then with ambitious heroes and heartache i just released that book before it was done um i was Mm. really like pushing myself to like figure that out and that's all my own sort of shit you know the reasons we hurry ourselves when we're not in an adverse relationship with time in any way but we convince ourselves that we are and that book was tough for me man because i started writing it six months before i got out of the navy i've got this like contract with my soul that i have to believe and live through every single thing that i actually write and oh, yeah. if I don't, it comes out hollow. Like really that's for any content creator. It's like, if you don't speak from the voice you've earned, it'll come out. Oh, it's gotta be authentic. Yeah. People yeah. will know. Yeah. People will know. Yeah. Right. I and know so, there are people that are famous and I'm like, this guy's full of shit. Like, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, no, I don't believe that. Yep. <laughs> that's nope. yep. And so, and so one is like, I just have this deep contract with myself. That's like, I have to live in alignment with my truth. And I started writing a book and I didn't realize it was going to force me to grow into the person that could write it. And so over the course of two years is like a transformational process that's turned me inside out so that I could be the person that wrote that book. And the first time I released it, it's because I had convinced myself that I was in an adverse relationship with time. And I was like, I have to do it. I've got to get out there. I've been talking about it. Like anybody gives a shit. And so after I did, and you know, right, you put it out there and then there's this feeling of, wasn't it it's not quite yeah right. just but you try to go mark. forward anyway so you like yeah it's okay just push it and after about six months of that i'm like i had written so i've written since that book came out the first version i've written five different books and i couldn't finish any of them i'd get like thirty thousand words in and just be like it would i'd lose it completely well then i went back one day this summer and i was reading them and i'm like oh I'm trying to write the book that I've already released. So why don't I make that book what I want it to be? And then I'll release it and there just go. be good with it. So I can fucking move on for once. Sure. And so, um, which was actually a blessing in disguise, right? Because 
what that meant is that I had all of these ideas in Ambitious Heroes and Heartache, and I started go, coming at them from all these different angles. And I wrote another 180,000 words on those kind of ideas. And so when I sat down and like really just wrote the book through to what it is now, it was like, as I finished, I was like, okay, I did it. The book's done. We're done. And you're always going to be progressing, right? I mean, progress. I mean, you've got to accept that. Yeah. You're always going to be evolving. People are always going to change. I, I think I've heard you talk about it before. You know, I don't know. It all, all the information just kind of goes together, right? But, totally. Um, you know, it's like uh, people are always going to evolve and change. And and, and I've, I've given this advice to a lot of people. It's like, hey, man, if I'm the same person, if I'm the same Jeff Bayless six years from now that, I, that you're talking to right now, shame on me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I'm doing you a disservice by being the same person. Does that make sense? Like, I, I don't want to be the same person. I want to evolve and grow and, and transform and transcend, right? And if I'm not doing that, I'm not doing you uh, a service. Like, I'm, I'm totally missing the mark on what my, my what I should be doing as, as a, a friend to you or as, a, you know, whatever that role is, uh, that, you know, those lines get uh, pretty vague. You know, my mentor or coach or boss or your friend, like, it, I don't know, but just as a person in your life, uh, as we were talking about off show, you know, like I found my purpose in life, right. Is to be beneficial to others in any way, shape or form possible. Mm -hmm. And if, if that always looks exactly the same, I'm probably not doing it right. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, totally. So yeah, people change, man. Uh, that's a, a plain English way to say it. Um, but so I heard you talk about coping mechanisms and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Right. So uh, I actually just, it's funny, like, it's all connected, man. So I just recorded a, a podcast like maybe one or two episodes ago about coping mechanisms and, you know, how there are healthy ones or ones that we can think are healthy, right? Like you did, you know, back-to-back -back ultra marathons and, you know, come back to work on Monday. And I remember you saying something like, well, it's a little less hard to be pissed off, but still mm -hmm. you, you come back to the same reality of hating your job or hating your life, you know. Um, but there are some coping mechanisms that can seem to be positive, right? Uh, we have the ones that we know are not good. Alcohol. Uh, uh, yeah. Pornhub you mentioned, right? Uh, womanizing, uh, sex addiction, drugs, uh, which use that term loosely, right? Uh, there, there, there are many overindulgence in anything, right? Like we could say, okay, these, these are negative forms of coping mechanisms. And, and what's tricky is there are some of these coping mechanisms out there like exercise, Dude, I listen to 90% of your podcasts on a run, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that, that being said, that's, that's a, that could be a positive coping mechanism to a point. And then if I make it my entire life where all I do is work out, right. Is it still a positive coping mechanism? Right. So what, what are your thoughts on, you know, coping mechanisms, that boundary between healthy and not healthy? Why do we do it? Why did you do it? And how do we, how do we break that cycle? So when you say coping, what do you think, or, or in your definition, I guess, what are you coping for? Uh, good question. Yeah. I would say you're coping, you're coping from something that you're trying to escape from. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps I, well, I would say escape is a cope, right? Escape oh, sure. is how we cope with not being here. There you go. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, I've started to really understand that all the things we do to cope are because we don't feel inherently whole in ourselves, right? And so the problem with all coping mechanisms, if in fact it's a coping mechanism, is that it'll work until it doesn't, right? Yeah. The underlying problem is still there. Some part of you has been broken off and what's broken off is craving wholeness. And so it's dragging you that way. It's inviting you toward your own wholeness and instead you're coping. And so instead of sitting with the pain of whatever's coming up, and so exercise is a great one until you realize you can't do it or you can't not go. Or and you now, get injured. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Because what happens is like, that's most of what we would consider to be the healthy form of American is, well, they can't not go to the gym. You know, the other half can't make it there and the other half can't stop going, you know, can't stop going. And so it, it's all good until, like you said, it gets injured. And so um, until you get injured and then it's taken from you. And then now you're, you know, now you're not whole and you have no way of doing it. And so now it's going to happen. Now you got to escape, right? Now you're going to want to escape your body for whatever reason. And so, and then there are also other forms of coping mechanism that are inherently dopamine stimulating, right? And so that would be 
marijuana is one. Uh, and I don't want to say that these things are bad, right? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you use them as a coping mechanism, there's going to come a time where they stop working. Yeah. Now, the reason being is because anything that activates a dopaminergic pathway is going to cause an addiction. And what an addiction is, is a narrowing of what excites you, which is why you need more and you're getting less of you back. And that's why you see someone that's been addicted to crack for 20 years and they're a shell of who they used to be. It's literally taken all of them, right? And so the thing to think about is, is the are the actions I'm taking in my life serving who I'm here to be? Or are they taking from my life force, from my vitality, from my chi, however you think of that, mm -hmm. from my essence, from my soul? And so I think that the, a better question, because we want to demonize those things. And part of why we want to demonize them is so that we can not own the problem. If porn's the problem, the problem's not me. Right. So like, well, now try to go fix the porn industry so that you have, so that you can feel better. Like how, how good is that going to work? It won't at all. And so you've got to first own the problem. It's not the thing. It's, it's not moral. You know, we always want to assign these like moral problems to our coping mechanisms. It's like, that couldn't be less helpful, whether it is or not, you're under the control of a you are hooked in a dopaminergic pathway right now. You don't feel whole. There are things going on at home that you've got to work on. And so I think my thing with coping mechanisms is unfortunately, most of the ones that we have today, they just take from us. You know, they don't allow us to, if you could reclaim the actual wholeness, the thing you're coping for in the first place, you'd probably find immense vi vitality, you know? Mm. I mean, that's what I'm, that's kind of like the struggle that I'm in right now. The problem is we don't like to sit in that tension, right? We want to do something to center ourselves. I'm like going through this struggle personally right now in a, in a really deep way. And so every day from like 12 to four, I'm just suffering. And the goal, the thing to do there is, you know, we have this notion of healing in the West. That's like, well, if you're healing, it takes away your pain. So you take Tylenol when you're healing and it's like, but maybe you need to go through the pain and then maybe you, that you don't need to bandaid it up anymore and take Tylenol. And so when you, that that's why we don't do it too. That's part of why these coping mechanisms will continue forever because at the end of the day, we like don't want to sit in that tension. We don't want to sit in that really difficult, really difficult feeling. Yeah, that's that's kind of like in a Ironman distance training, you know, they talk about not taking uh, non steroidals, right? Because, you know, take as you take these, uh, you know, Tylenol or Advil or whatever these things are, and it, I'm using this as a metaphor, right? Yeah, you need to feel that pain. So you know what pain feels like, so you can endure it. Uh, when you have to when, when it matters, right? When when you're going to get in a situation where it's going to be extremely painful, right? And so if you're, if you're numbing out, you're not going through the process that you're supposed to go through. You're, you're not becoming accustomed to feeling pain. Right. And this could be a blessing or a curse, you know, like. I, totally. And yeah. that's why, it, that's why you don't want to be like, you know, I, that's why you don't want to demonize something outside of yourself because it's neutral. It's you that has the problem. You know, you Tylenol is a great thing, right? If you have a cold and you take Tylenol to suppress your cough, it probably is going to be okay. If you have lung cancer, you're probably going to die quicker because you're not going to catch it as soon. And so it just is what it is. All these symptoms, you know, we have a culture that's like really dead set on like treating symptoms. It's like, oh, you're angry all the time. Go to anger, anger management. Oh, you're yeah. depressed. Oh, take Zoloft. It's like, or what, figure out why you're so angry. Yeah, get to figure the root. Out why you're depressed, right? Pull yeah. the roots up. Now, we don't want to do that because it's so painful. And we have, a, like I said, a picture of healing that is like, it's not pain, it's, it's feeling better, but no. Yeah. You know, and I think too, and I would love to hear like how you got to, or if you're still working on how to get to this clarity. Uh, but I think it really requires some objectivity, right? Mm. Uh, this was probably the hardest thing for me. I say that all the time because everything was like the hardest thing to figure out at the <laughs> yeah. time, right? Like at the time yeah, right. you're like, you're like, holy shit, this is the hardest thing ever. But it's like, there was a totally. thousand hardest things ever. Right. But, uh, or maybe just for guys like me and you, I don't know. I'm sure mm -hmm. we're not alone though. Uh, but one of the hardest things was like, just really getting objective, you know, like really just zooming out and saying, Oh, that, like, that's not normal. You know, like it's not normal to have a panic attack over something minor that is not life threatening or like for me personally, like I would have a panic attack over something as small as like a dental appointment. Right. 
But if I'm swinging a boat in 40 knots of wind and like capturing Haitian drug runners with cocaine, like getting captives and like, you know, like the, the world's on fire, totally in my comfort zone. Dialed in. Problem. Yeah. Like bring it on. Like I'm not even losing, I'm not like not one gray hair over that shit. Right. But right. You know, if I get a dental appointment, I'm like, oh my God, like what? Oh my, oh, what, what? I, I hate the dentist. Right. Yeah. So it's like, where, where do we gain this clarity, this objectivity of what is actually going on? Like, why uh, are you afraid of the dentist and you're not afraid of bullets flying at you? Right. Like, wh where do we get this objectivity? Yeah. I mean, I got it. I think I gained the most amount of objectivity. Uh, well, I think smoking weed helped me do that, to be honest with you. Um, helped me like see myself from outside of myself, not so caught gripped in my emotions. Mm -hmm. um, again, that's a double-edged sword, right? Because then there reached a point in my life where I was like, oh, this isn't serving me anymore, um, unfortunately. And so that helped though with that. Um, and then also meditation, that's what meditation actually is, right? Meditation is releasing thoughts, releasing thoughts. And what it does is it puts your awareness behind your thought process. So you can actually see it. So like for four, you know, especially at first, it's hard for Westerners to turn the monkey mind off in any way, shape or form. Absolutely. And so I think like guided meditations are a really good intro to that. Cause you just kind of are following along and you'll even suck at that, you know, but you, you start doing that three or four months. I remember after three or four months of like really sticking to it as, you know, consistent as I could at the time. And then I remember I woke up in a bad mood and normally what I would do is just go project that bad mood on everybody else. And I was like out to dinner. I was on a work trip. I was like out to lunch or dinner with a bunch of dudes from work. And it just in my own internal reasoning, it like hit me of like, Whoa, what's going on with you? And that was the first moment ever that I can actually remember. Like I remember the bar I was in everything where my awareness pulled itself out of my emotions and just looked at it and was like, well, what's going on here? Like, is that me? Do I have to react to that? And it's interesting because if you're walking down the street and you see, let's say a homeless person comes at you and let's say that they're really overweight and they haven't showered and they're like really a mess, just falling apart. Now, some part of you might think, man, that person's a fucking mess, but you're probably not going to tell them, right? Because that would just make you a dick. You wouldn't do that. Right. The thought's going to come up, but you're going to let the thought go because you know it's not going to serve you or them or the world. <clears throat> But in our heads for some reason, and we have no problem doing that, but in our heads for some reason, all of a sudden we are our thoughts and we can't let any of them go. And so it's actually the recognition that you do have the ability to do it. You just haven't learned and haven't practiced, but you do it all the time. You it's don't exactly, say oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's exactly like uh, Eckhart Tolle said, uh, something to the effect of like, you're not your thoughts, you're your interpretation of your thoughts. So like, mm -hmm. it's it's only if you and this is Jeff's version. I'm not trying to be enlightened like Eckhart Tolle, right? But Jeff Tolle, got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eckhart Baelish. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but it's like, okay, it's it's normal to have these thoughts. Don't get hung up there, right? It's it's okay. You're a human being, right? You can, you can have that thought. The only thing that makes it uh, something that's not going to serve you or others is if you get hung up there and, and either act on that thought or interpret it that you're either screwed up or that you know this is this is some manifestation of something that it isn't right so you know it's it it's it you can't control this is why we have dreams right mm -hmm. what are what are your dreams do you, do you keep like a journal of your dreams by chance or, or um, have you in so the past? my fiance is like studying uh Jungian psychology and so dream work is a huge part of that of course it um is. And so she is, she does that. She has like a journal by her bed and like every morning is working through them and interpreting them. Um, I haven't gotten really into it, but she has helped me with a bunch of big dreams and it has been life-changing to the degree. Yeah. Or if you have the it. same, same dream that you're repeating over and over again. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a few of those. They're, they're mostly anxiety dreams. Uh, I have a, I'm doing a lot better, uh, but you know, I, I have a lot of anxiety. Like I'm, I'm constantly in this like uh, flight or fight or flight mode of, uh, and, and I've done a lot better. And a lot of that has to do with childhood trauma and stuff like that. But it's like, okay, got it. You have anxiety. You're having these dreams. It's not that you're having the dream and it, it's not a bad thing. It's not a problem. Right. The problem is if you over, if you interpreted it as who you are, right. Or if you interpret it as, oh man, I am screwed up. Like, why would I think that? Like, why would I have this thought? 
I would, I would posit, and I'd love to get your thoughts, but like, I would posit it's, it's more about, okay, you can have that thought, just don't interpret it as a, as a normal function of life or something that you should act on. What, what do you think? Um, so I don't want to go super far into it cause it's definitely outside of my swim lane. Um, but what I would say is that it's not literal, like any real interpretation of dreams from a psychological lens, it's all symbolic, you know, and that's the work that my fiance does. It's not literal whatsoever. So if you take it literal, it's the wrong message. You're, you're being told something through symbolism. And so the way that she does it is it's more of an idea of like association. What is that? Th- what do you associate with that person? Mm. And then, or you amplify the image. So we all have shared sort of archetypal psychology. And so certain animals will show up in your dreams that like are archetypal of like actually your instincts trying to get your attention or your oh, masculine cool. is trying to get your attention. It's super cool, dude. I, again, I don't want to talk about it cause I don't know shit about it really. Um, <laughs> and well, what, what you said, just, I'm going to be Googling some stuff as soon as we get off here. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Like, I'd never thought about something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, again, my, my fiance is getting her doctorate in it. And so there's we tend to, I know, I know growing up, it's like, what does this dream mean? And then you look it up on the internet and you get some like stupid ass thing, but it's actually really personal to who you are. And it's actually not literal whatsoever. And so deducing how your psychology is sending you message through dreams is like its own sort of school of thought. That's wild, man. That's a wild thing to consider. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what, what are you, I mean, we kind of touched on the work you're doing now and I, I brought that up because I try to stay in the now, you know, cause there's this idea that, you know, definitely not in our culture, unfortunately, but, you know, as a concept of time, like what does time even mean? Right. Like you were saying earlier, it's like, well, the only moment you have is now, right. This Mm -hmm. is what meditation tries to teach you. And so that's why I always bring up in every episode. That's why I start with now. Right. But I, but I would be curious of all your work, not to include the now, like, what are you most proud of? Or what do you, what do you see it going uh, either way? Like, are you more proud of work that you've done in the past? Are you more excited for the future? Like, that's why I caveated it with, you know, the importance of focusing on the now, right? Got it. Sure. Now is most important, but like, where do you see it going? Or, you know, where, where do you see yep, Rick yep. Alexander's I, work? I, I've released control of that completely. Um, nice. I have no, to, to fool ourselves and think we know what we want is just absurd. It's so much of your psychology is below the hood. 95 to 97% of you, like your actual desires, want psychologies outside of your awareness. And so you actually have no idea what you want, um, quite literally. And so I've really like let that go. Um, and I'm just trying to follow. I'm trying to follow me, right? I'm trying to follow the internal constitution. I think that you have a lot of freedom in this life to do what you want, be what you want. But I don't think you can be anything. I think your soul is going to make demands of you. And if you go against that, you're going to pay. It, it, it'll, your life will be something approximating hell if you go against your soul. I'm sure of it. And so that's only the only things I'm sure of. And so what I've like really learned to do, because I found myself growing really resentful in my life, even though I would go do jobs that I thought were cool, that the world would celebrate me for, I was growing resentful. And so like really learning to follow that internal constitution has been the most important thing for me. Um, and it, to compartmentalize that the thing I'm the most proud of is ambitious heroes and heartache for sure. Like it's the first time ever that I've stuck with something like all the way to the gritty, terrible end. like anyone that's written a book, it's so it's like a ridiculously demanding process and intellectual hero's journey in and of itself. And so to like, actually be like, no, this is what's next for me. This is the thing I'm putting in the world and to stick that out. um, Yeah. I'm the most proud of that. What a, what a beautifully poetic way to not answer the question and then answer the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, dude, I gave you a, a huge uh, shout out on, on Amazon. And so I, I'll take a, a moment here just to give the listener, if you're not going to uh, check out the show notes or anything, Ambitious Heroes available on uh, Amazon. Uh, are you going to redo the Audible version of that as well for the second? It's already been done. It's already been submitted. I'm just waiting for them to do their end processing. Yeah. Cool. That's, that's probably how I'll do the second version of it then. Um, yeah. So, man, I almost kind of want to drop the mic on that, but I did have one more thing I want to say. And I, dude, I, like I could talk to you for hours and hours. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, but Great so kind of what I heard you say was this managing of expectations, right? So to, to think about 
where are things going? Right. So I asked you, like, where do you see your work going? And you kind of said like, it's impossible. Right. So I think kind of this philosophy I've, I've built up basically on being let down so many times in my life, right? Like people just disappoint me constantly, you know, mm -hmm. like by letting me down or by hurting me intentionally or by being selfish and taking advantage of me when I was young or, you know, naive or uh, in love, right? The, the honeymoon phase of love, right? And so I, I get stuck on this idea of like expectations and standards, right? And so I think I, I give this advice a lot and I'd be curious your thoughts, like don't have expectations because mm -hmm. if you have expectations, it's just going to be a place for you to get let down. You're just setting yourself up for disappointment. It's great to have very high standards though, right? That could mean healthy boundaries. That could mean, you know, I, I don't eat like shit. That means, you know, I move my body every day in some way, shape or form. Doesn't have to be an Ironman triathlon every day, right? Um, but I think it's important to have standards and not hold yourself to all these expectations of where your work's going to go, where your body of work is going to go, where your relationship is going to end up. Because even if a relationship fails, it was still a lesson. There was something you can take and extrapolate from every experience you have, right? Mm -hmm. So what I really should have just dropped the mic on the last thing you said, but I'm going to give you one more, one more uh, volley here uh, to give you the conch shell here. But what, what, is, what are your thoughts on you know, expectations versus standards or you know, having high expectations? Yeah. I mean, you know, the real two things are happening with expectations. The first is that you're giving the world about a thousand ways to let you down and one way to satisfy you. That's yeah. like the biggest issue, right? You're like, I expect this out of the world. It's like, well, the world didn't agree to those standards. And so you're marching off into the future and you're like, if anything happens, which you're always standing on the edge of infinity, right? Cause you're a finite creature and you have no idea what's going to happen from moment to moment. Not really. You convince okay. yourself you do, but you certainly do not. And that's part of why tragedy like strikes us so deep. It's because we didn't see it coming. Cause we had a picture of our future that was different than the one reality subjecting to our picture. Mm. And so the problem with expectations, especially if you really hang your hat on them is that you're giving the world a lot of ways to let you down. And so and the world never said it would agree to your standards. And so like you're putting yourself in a position where you're the one that's suffering. You know, nobody else is suffering. You're suffering. You might make others suffer as you do. But at the end of the day, it's it's a fate you've knowingly ordained, right? Just because you didn't have the courage to open yourself up to a plethora of opportunity. So that's the first thing. And then there's something psychologically that's happening with expectation too, which is you as a finite creature are taking on the role of God, right? That's the role of God is, is the infinite. It's the, it's what the future is. That's in the hands of God. Not as in like a religious old man in the sky, who's like commanding things around, like knowing a quite literal interpretation of what God is, the infinite future, the future's in the hands of God. And so when you take on the expectation of, I know what's best for the future, you're putting on the hat of God. Now, the problem with that as a finite creature is that's a role you're not equipped for quite yeah, literally, you can't right? Understand it. Yeah. right. You're, you wouldn't know. And that's why we make ourselves miserable. So often, like you don't know what you want. Not really. You have some ideas and the more your awareness grows, the better you'll get at that. Really. You can get much better at understanding your actual needs, your actual yeah. values. But if you take on the role of deciding ultimately what should happen in the future, you're putting on God's hat and you're going to find that you're letting yourself down. You're suffering needlessly. needlessly and so yeah. there's a huge liberation in just realizing that you don't have to be God here. Actually, you don't have to do anything. You only have to be you. And if people could like put down their expectations for all the other things they have to be, you'd probably find that it's actually quite liberating. Like the best news in the world is that you and your flawed self only have to be that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm reminded of forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. Right. Uh, and, and I struggle with this too. You know, the guy that sexually abused me when I was a kid, if I, if I actually ran into this guy in the street, I can't tell you what I would do. Right. Like mm. I would like to say I would rise above it and that I would, you know, forgive him and do the godly thing and turn the other cheek and all like that. But I don't know. Uh, but mm. for the most part, in general, uh, you know, forgiveness is a gift, you know, not, not to the other person, to yourself. If you can forgive someone and forgive yourself, you know, you, what do you gain by not forgiving someone or for forgiving yourself? Nothing. You, you gain right. heartache. That's what you gain. That's you it. know, you gain animosity, you gain anger, you gain anxiety, you gain 
broken hands, which I've had multiple times, uh, you know, this is what you gain, uh, right? What do you gain by forgiving someone? Well, you get this clarity, you get this release, you get this uh, vitality, you know, you get, you get, you get, it's, it's infinite. Well, and you see yourself as somebody worthy of forgiveness too. Ooh, yeah, there you go. All right. That's the one we're dropping the mic on, bro. <laughs> um, so cool. Yeah. Uh, ambitious Heroes and Heartache. You're redoing Burn Your Couch. Uh, I can find you at Rick Alexander underscore. Yeah, they're all out. Oh, it is the the new uh, Burn Your Couch is out? Yeah. My bad, bro. All right. I'm going to check it out. Um, Rick Alexander underscore rickalexander.com. Anything else? Nope. Nope. Um, you go to rickalexander.com. That's where all my stuff is. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Uh, appreciate your time. I'm excited to, without expectation, I'm excited to see where all your work goes, man. I love following your stuff. Uh, personally, it's really helped me out. So I know it's doing a lot of good for a lot of people, man. So keep doing it. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. All right, man. Out here. Pretty good, right? What a good episode. Um, so much I could say, uh, but really, I'd just be repeating what you just listened to. So if you got anything out of it, listen to it again. Uh, I am sure that Rick and I will be working on some other stuff here in the future. Uh, you know, maybe a collaborative project on his end, some things that he's got going on. Uh, but he always has an open invitation on this platform as well. Uh, again, check out his book, uh, Burn Your Couch, Ambitious Heroes and Heartache. Uh, available anywhere you get books also available on audible and uh, yeah man just that dude's a good soul man just uh really once you get to know him and you kind of you learn about his history and then where he's where he's been and where he's trying to go uh, i think it's it's pretty uh it's pretty remarkable to find someone like that in this day and age that uh you know just isn't afraid to talk about the hard topics and like i said in the in the intro you know the guy just really does his research and that's what we need we need people that actually you know know what they're talking about before they get emotional about it uh and you know rick uh if if you are listening to this man i I appreciate uh not only you coming on the show but it kind of helped me start this platform uh you know early on in the process rick was a huge help uh just kind of giving me some ideas helping me brainstorm uh he was very open and available so anyway thanks rick you're a good dude man you're a good human and uh, i appreciate uh, what you do in the world so again guys you can find him at rick alexander underscore rickalexander.com. uh you know the morning coffee podcast is out anywhere you get it check out his books uh, i love the guy's work man and if you got anything out of it hook me up with a review check out rick's book give him a review just uh or <laughs> hey if, if you didn't like it, give me some feedback. Give me something to work with so we can make the project better. Because uh, this is not at all about me. It's all about you. And the more I hear from you, the more I can tailor this project into something that's beneficial to help you optimize the human experience. All right, guys. I love you. We'll chat next week on the Evolution Podcast.